0: Welcome to episode 67 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotherapist and author of the book Good Grief, Dipti Tate. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis. Or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking, and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there, getting real results, with real people, really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to having for some time. Today's conversation is with the author of the book, Good Grief. She's a talented hypnotherapist and enjoys demonstrating her free-flowing hypnotic skills for others who are looking to help people change. She's often on TV and radio talking about the benefits of hypnotherapy and is someone that walks the walk. And I'm keen to talk with her today about rapid change, but also how she's built up a thriving practice and has been a content creation machine. Welcome to the podcast, Dipty Tate.
1: Thank you, Howard Cooper. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You have been on my radar for quite some time, as we have spoken about. And I finally took the plunge and stopped being intimidated by the pink hair and then the different coloured hair and the bright outfits and the TV personality. And I thought, right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So why don't you, um, can we dive in? Tell us a little bit about how did you get started and what led you to to the world of hypnotherapy?
1: Well, I think with um, me, I was a bit screwed up, to be honest. So I wanted to find a solution. (laughs) And um, I, yeah, loads was going on with my life at that time. Everything was just going downhill. I was getting getting divorced. Uh, My mum had just died. My dad had died already. It was all a bit dark. And then someone said to me, you know what? Have you tried hypnotherapy just to lift yourself up? And I thought, oh, no, I haven't. So I went to look for a hypnotherapist, but I couldn't really find one that I gelled with or I thought I gelled with, but I did find a hypnotherapy training school. So in the end, I thought, well, sod getting hypnotherapy, I'll just go and train as a hypnotherapist. So I'd never even had any. I just decided to go and train. And you know, when you start something and you think, wow, why haven't I done this before? you know it just flowed it flowed from that day when I started training and it honestly has been flowing ever since
0: what was it that appealed to you about it what was it that that happened in that training that sort of gave you that feeling of like oh yeah this this is where I'm supposed to be
1: I think because I trained as a solution focused hypnotherapist so the whole point of solution focused it does what it says on the tin it's it's not dwelling on the problem. Of course, we know that the client or we have a problem and that's what we want to sort out, but it's not dwelling on it. And it's actually looking for a solution. And also what I thought was amazing was that someone else wasn't giving the solution. It was actually within ourselves to find the solution. And I thought that internal inquiry or internal discovery was just magic you know and I think when I found that out it was a bit like I discovered the secret of life (laughs) and I just wanted to share it with everybody and the world and more you know so I think the passion there was immediate.
0: I'm really interested by what you just said because um When we did the rapid fire round, I asked you one of the questions was, what do you believe is the biggest misconception about the work you do? And uh, by the way, if anyone's thinking rapid fire round, rapid fire round, where is that? Scroll down on the Rapid Change Matters podcast page and it will be there. You can watch it as a short two minute snip, uh, clip it, interview uh, with Dipti to wet the whistle of what's to come. But the answer you gave to that question about what's the biggest misconception was that you're actually doing anything. Now, the reason I think that's interesting is because a lot of hypnotherapists that I have seen or spoken to, it takes them a long time to get out of that mindset of it's us doing something to the person. But it seems like very quickly within training, the thing that uh, jumped out at you was that you really resonated with the fact that someone's facilitating you doing it yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were taught very quickly and early on that the client has the resources and has the control and has the, the say so with whatever they want to achieve or not achieve you know so it's actually they have the agency and actually they're coming to us because they've kind of lost some kind of agency or autonomy in their life you know whether it's to do with um you know uh, they feel like can't do something or they can't achieve something or they can't stop something it's because they feel that they haven't got that agency and so all we do is remind them that they have you know and point them in the direction of taking that responsibility for themselves and that i think is really powerful isn't it
0: i i think it's hugely empowering to have people connect with uh, a set of skills or a way of thinking that empowers them to make changes. Uh, If I was being provocative, the question I would really want to know is, how true do you think it is that people have all the resources uh, needed inside of them? And how much is it just useful for them to believe because it enables them to do more and when when they have that belief?
1: I guess in a way the belief system underpins and validates whether or not they think they do have the resources so we have to go with the assumption they do have them but the issue is do they believe it enough right so if we can help them with that um, belief change I guess and get their belief system to I guess authenticate (laughs) that that assumption that they do have the resources, then once their belief system is on board, everything else can shift quite quickly. So I do believe a lot of my work is belief change initially. Um, Once the beliefs are in the right sort of place, then the, the change work can be quite quick but sometimes belief change is a bit difficult you know at the beginning so that's what I mean about I sometimes rapid change isn't possible for some people because their belief system is so fixed but then if their belief system was a bit more fluid then rapid change is quite easy
0: so I was going to ask you about sort of how do you what do you interpret rapid change to mean um but but before we get into that um mm. You know, you mentioned, uh, and I know you've done a lot of stuff and you feel very passionately about working with beliefs and belief change. How would you go about helping someone change their beliefs?
1: So I pretty much have adapted an amazing process that um, I've got taught by Tim Halbom. So he's a, a Calif- Californian based NLP hypnotherapy practitioner. Um, and he has this four step belief change process. And I learnt it maybe a couple of years ago now, and I think you know when you get into a room with somebody and you watch them do a demo, and then you're just speechless the whole time i was I was captivated by this process and because he did it in front of us, and it was you know probably a couple of hours' work with this client that he was demoing with, and it was just flawless and seamless. To the point where I thought that the person was a plant. I had to go up to her in lunchtime and and just check that she wasn't just some kind of you know that she just didn't come along with him to say the right thing. That she was actually a real life person with a real life limiting belief that had literally changed before our very eyes. And she was definitely not a plant. And I was hooked then. So then I went and trained and did that process. And so that's what I do now.
0: Fantastic. So what sort of beliefs uh, have you worked with or tend to come up as being limiting beliefs? And and how do they change? And what do they change to?
1: So they will either be a combination of these three things or just three things. So self-worth, So they'll be about themselves, you know, they don't think they're good enough, or they're not clever enough, or they're not worthy enough. So there's either the self-worth thing going on, Um, there's also a self um, kind of understanding of, of, it's about recognising that they have the agency to change, you know, and so... the uh, the belief system is like a, um, a map of reality isn't it so in a way you're kind of asking somebody to change their map of reality and that could be quite tricky and challenging for some people so if they feel like they're in a safe place and they feel like they can you know maybe play around with that map of reality then that understanding is a is a thing to help them to go okay maybe my belief system doesn't have to be fixed it can be flexible so I was talking about self-worth um also self um there's like you know if you self-sabotage and so self-sabotage is a massive um guess what's the word I'm looking for? Um, obstacle, perhaps, when it comes to belief change. Um, there is a part, I talk about the brain in two ways. So we've got kind of our intellectual mind that kind of knows sensible stuff and logic and rational thinking. But then there's that little monkey mind or chimp, as I call it. So I've read the chimp paradox. I wouldn't read it a hundred times, just so you know. I've just read it once.
0: I would never suggest you would, <laughs> did you?
1: So I don't think I could ever read a book even I would never twice. encourage
0: anyone to read a book a hundred times. That, that that sounds ridiculous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's so much more to life than reading a book a hundred times. So anyway, I read the book once, The Chimp Paradox by <laughs> Professor Steve Peters. And he talks about the monkey mind or the chimp brain. And that chimp is the part that is habitual, you know, that wants to do things on repeat because it thinks you need to. So that's kind of holding the belief systems together as well. So if we can appeal to the chimp part of the brain to sort of tell the chimp that it's okay, we can... um, We can hold the belief, but also we can introduce something new in. You've got to kind of get your chimp on board at the same time. Otherwise, there'll be resistance. And we know what that's like.
0: Oh, yeah. I I, I sometimes muse that what people really want, even though I don't think it's possible, is people come to see you because they want change, but they want to have their cake and eat it. It's like, I want the change, but I don't want to think differently. Just If you can just make me change without having to do anything different or think anything different, that would be great.
1: Yes. So people really don't want to take ownership or be accountable. Um, And that's, again, a, a misconception about what hypnosis is, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, can you just wave that wand or can you just click your fingers or can you just blink at me and, you know, I'll be skinny? Well, yeah, if I could, I'd be living in the Bahamas, you know, and I wouldn't be doing what I do. <laughs> I would just be like, you know, queen something. But you've got to No, no, I'm sorry, that's not possible. Yeah, you might be able to get a quick fix for a very temporary short amount of time. But if you want permanent, long lasting, lifelong change, you've got to take some control and you've got to be in it to
0: be it you know really I think one of the criticisms that I've had thrown at me with a uh, a rapid change label is that people sometimes think I'm talking about instant quick fix magic fix change and I'm not Um, what for you is the difference between rapid change and kind of instant quick fix change
1: So an instant quick fix change is when somebody thinks that they've had something happen to them that's created the change of behavior. Um, And as long as that belief is there, they will probably keep the change going. But as soon as that belief wears off a bit like, I don't know, a sleeping pill or something, you kind of wake up and realize that you haven't really done anything. And so you go back to where you were, right? So The other, the rapid change when it's done properly with a belief system um, sorted through as well, is when someone has made a categorical decision to change because the change is worth it, the change is valuable, and the reason to change is much more compelling than the reason to go back to the way they were. So once someone has made a decision, then it's sort of stamped into concrete
0: in a way I I like that idea and I'm also of the mind it kind of points towards something interesting which is this idea of making a decision Mm -hmm. because of course decision is not a thing it's not you can't put a decision in a wheelbarrow but of course when you make it seem concrete it becomes more immovable which can be a blessing it can be a fantastic thing uh, and on the other hand, it can also, there can be a downside to it because if someone's made a decision in inverted commas about something that's not working for them, how do we get them, how, how do you help them realize that decisions themselves are a process? It's the process of deciding.
1: I suppose you can get them to play with the idea of what feels like a decision and what feels like a choice as well. So, for example, I have two teenage sons. A few years ago, they both decided to go vegetarian. And I wasn't, well, none of us were vegetarian. Um, And they said, well, can you be vegetarian as well to me? And I was a bit like, well, I haven't really considered being vegetarian, but don't really fancy going vegetarian. And they were like, oh, come on, just try it. And then they made me watch this Netflix thing called Cowspiracy. And so, you know, they were doing it for the animals and the globe and the planet. And I was like, oh, this is a phase. All right, we'll give it a go, you know. So I said, yeah, I'll go vegetarian for a little while. Anyway, that was four years ago. I'm still vegetarian. And how come? It's because I give myself choice to eat meat. So I say, okay, you can go and choose to have bacon with that. And then the other part of my brain goes, mm, okay, I can, but I don't want to. You know, so I'm still giving myself that choice, but I've, cho- I've now chosen not to. Mm. And that's, I think that's different to be told not to. I can't, because I'm not saying I, I can't. I can if I want to. But the value part of my brain has obviously superseded the desire
0: So talking about values, and um, you mentioned something that, you know, if you had your time again, you'd likely look back at Robert Dilt's work, Logical Levels. How far does that work uh, tie in with this idea of values and really creating a hierarchy in your mind that gives you greater motivation that arcs over everything?
1: Because if you think of the logical levels as a pyramid, which... That's what they are. You've got your identity at the top. And then beyond the identity, you've kind of got your, I guess, your sort of, he goes into the whole spiritual part. So let's ignore the spiritual part for a minute, but that's mission and purpose and vision. But then you've got your identity at the top of the pyramid. Right under there, you've got your beliefs and your values. Then you've got your skills and capabilities, I think, mm-hmm. from memory, then behavior. Um, and then environment at the bottom so your beliefs and values come short of your identity so they're very linked to who you think you are um, how you kind of see yourself in a world so once your beliefs and values are set it's very then it, it they kind of guide your behavior I guess um so beliefs and values are also linked together but they're very different aren't they because a value is something that you hold really important to yourself. It's almost like a um, personal thing that you think is very, very true. And be- well, you, you kind of, nothing would, you wouldn't compromise or you wouldn't self-violate one of your values. Um, so I think it's harder, I think it's harder to change a value than it is to change a belief.
0: But not impossible.
1: Not impossible. Not impossible. Um, but it's slightly harder, I think. Um, hmm, interesting one, though. How to, how to sort of... It's a fine line, isn't it, between a belief and a value? I, I
0: think so. And, and I certainly think that I think some people very naturally change values in terms of the level of what's important to them. And there are certain sort of life changes that happen naturally. So you know from from me personally becoming going from being a single guy mm. and suddenly like oh becoming then uh, married and then having having a child becoming a father yeah the values i have as a father which happened overnight yes like someone else is more important than i am it just happened in the blink of a moment
1: mm-hmm. and also actually when i was younger i actually i had a bit of a um I was going to say I used to smoke and um, as I wanted to give up smoking and I tried and I didn't and I wanted to give up and I didn't. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I gave up immediately, didn't ever go back. And that, mm-hmm. again, that's an example, isn't it, of a value and a belief and a habit to changing all in one go. The,
0: the, the whole thing just sort of t- tips over. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if, if values can change. And beliefs can change then they don't define who you are
1: they don't and in a way your identity can change right so that doesn't even define who you are so that's why Robert talks about the other stuff you know the mission the purpose the kind of soul level but then that goes really deep doesn't it so in fact who are you really and none of us want to think of ourselves as insignificant and unimportant because we're just this tiny little dot floating around in a cosmos because we're much bigger than that and we're much more important than that so there is this conflict in the brain of wait a minute I I I have to have some space or I have to have some recognition or at least there is in my brain you know I definitely want to be seen and heard and show up and shine I don't want to just be a tiny little speck. But part of me is a tiny little speck and I've got to be OK with that, you know. So in the grand scheme of the universe and how we fit into life, we're very insignificant, but also we're very important at the same time. That's quite nice.
0: There's this idea, isn't there, that um, like um you don't have to be important. You'd like to be. We, we like to have significance, but also... <laughs> if we're operating from some sort of universal rule that we think there exists, like I have to be significant and I have to be important. And then I'm likely to be very triggered by anything that doesn't seem to go that way Yeah. rather than having a healthy acceptance for, I'd like to be important. I like people to recognize me. And also I'm insignificant and I'm human and I'm normal. And, you know, I, because it keeps us grounded
1: Yeah, I talk about it like um, a weighted helium balloon. So there is a part of me that wants to be floating up in importance and significance, and then there's another part of me that's anchored down into nothingness. You know, so I I like to have...
0: Welcome to happy hour, everybody.
1: (laughs) I am actually nothing and everything at the same time.
0: Yeah. And as you're weighted down to that nothingness of bleak and 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 anyway so t- t- tell me um going back to the rapid fire round and and by the way shortly I want to move on to um building a practice and the content creation machine that you are yeah but but I'm curious to explore another idea that came up in the rapid fire round which was this idea of you don't see yourself as a hypnotherapist but more as a de-hypnotherapist what did you mean by that could you explain
1: yeah we're already hypnotized the whole world is already hypnotized and what we're hypnotized by is you know the media and the news politics advertising social media the tv our parents our teachers you know they've already kind of conditioned us into a version of our reality so we're already hypnotized in that way what hypnotherapy does for us is um it kind of chinks open another reality and I think James Tripp talks about this a lot you know and that's probably where I got it from when I did a bit of training with him is that you know your version of reality might not be the version you thought it was so it's opening up another possibility of your reality and I think that's what Hypnotherapy helps you do is kind of dehypnotize you to a state and helps you see another one, you know, um, or a, another few, um, and I think that's quite powerful.
0: So, if if what you're suggesting is that um, the world and politics and media is hypnotizing us, how would you define hypnosis?
1: Um, I guess it's like you just you you hear things and then you internalize them and then you repeat them as if they're true yeah so like you'd read a headline somewhere and then you'd go and and, you know I think there's a real high statistic of people don't read the rest and there was actually a I think there was a study done where they had this really compelling headline which all compelling headlines are supposed to be compelling because that's the point of a headline and then the rest of the article started off the first paragraph as something the rest of it was that lorem ipsum you know rubbish stuff and I think something like five percent of people went, hang on, there's no article here, but ninety-five percent just read that headline. And that's what we're doing in life. We're just picking up on the snapshot, we're just picking up on the, you know, the the clickbait and then repeating it without thinking about it properly or or, you know, looking into it or asking the right questions. And it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. That's
0: I'm certainly seeing a lot of that at the moment all over social media
1: people yeah. that
0: um uh, uh, and people that will recite you know a headline or two as though it's absolute fact
1: yeah
0: you know and claim and i've researched it yeah and really it's because they read their title
1: yeah and i'm constantly saying stuff to jacob my son who's a who's nearly 18 and he is so good at saying where did you get that information from mum and I was like, oh, don't know. He said, well, check where that information came from and then make a decision on that piece of information. So mm. he's really good at checking sources and knowing that actually the internet is full of words <laughs> and voices.
0: He, sa- he sounds wise. He sounds I wise. I don't know where he
1: gets it from, do you?
0: Uh, listen, I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> no, what are you suggesting? <laughs> I'm happily married, Dipti. This is not, not appropriate for a live interview. Hilarious. <laughs> Dipti, one of the things that's really impressed me um, increasingly it is just every time I go onto social media or I click onto uh, Facebook or the internet, or there, there's another product, there's another uh, video, there's another thing that comes out. Uh, and there is a consistent, constant creative process that is dipty tate that is pushing stuff out and i um i often think about the incredible some incredibly talented therapists that are out there who are sitting in empty clinics
1: mm-hmm. with no
0: clients and their incredible talents are not being utilized and often you know you say to them "Well, oh, you know you need to push yourself out you need to get out there more you need to to, to create some stuff create more of a profile And they'll say things like, well, I don't know what to say. And I I don't know, I feel uncomfortable in front of the camera or I'm not quite sure how to get my message out. When you first started out, what were the challenges that you had in terms of creating content? And have you got any advice for people that might be struggling to put themselves out there?
1: That's a good question because I don't think I've ever had a challenge creating content. The reason why is because I don't call it creating content. And I think maybe the point for them is that they're overthinking the fact that they've got to say something wise or say something meaningful or say something that someone else needs to hear. That's overthinking. If you just do your job, you know, if you just talk about what you're passionate about because you've chosen to do this career, if you're engaged with something, someone else will be. So, it's not actually another. I don't sit here and go, right, I've got an hour, I'm going to create some content. Just don't do that. I just kind of do what I do. And social media happens to be a platform that I can share what I do. So, if I'm writing something, I do it in a blog. If I'm speaking something, I do it in a video. You know, if I want to share share it in a musical way or make a audio so there'll be so many different types of sharing and that's why it looks like I'm everywhere but it's just that platform is right for that message or that way of delivering that message
0: have you got any advice for people who worry what others might think
1: yeah have some hypnotherapy yeah
0: yeah And I've seen you talk quite compellingly about this before, which is this idea of hypnotherapists who aren't having hypnotherapy themselves or aren't dealing with their own issues.
1: I mean, oh, my God, don't even get me started.
0: I'm afraid I have.
1: Because that will make me swear and then it will definitely validate your explicit rating. So, okay, that gets me annoyed, Howard. You have ruffled a feather or two.
0: Just one, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If a hypnotherapist, a good hypnotherapist, isn't walking their walk, they are just talking their talk, and that is hypocritical in my eyes. I'm not saying that's right. It's just my opinion. (laughs) So, you know, for example, would you go to a personal trainer that was overweight? No. No. Would you go to a hairdresser who really had terrible hair? Probably not, right? So if you're an ambassador for something, surely it's got to start with you. I mean, I know this is a podcast. You can't see what's behind me, but I have it right there on my wall. It's a quote from Gandhi. Be the change that you want to see in the world. And if you're not, if you can't do it for yourself, how can you help other people, right?
0: So... I, I I totally agree with you. And at the same time, I'm going to challenge it, which yeah. just because I, th- I think it's interesting. And, and I have heard, by the way, some horror stories. I think the, the, the worst one I ever heard was a lady that came to uh, that brought her daughter to see me with a needle phobia. And I said, have you tried anything previously? Have you tried anything before? And she said, well, I, I'd had um, a whole session, uh, a whole uh, program of sessions with with, with a therapist. And um, I, I thought it was helping. And then the day of the needle phobia came and I was the daughter was freaking out. And the mother apparently contacted this therapist and said, "Would could, could I pay you to come with us to the hospital and sit with my daughter while... And there was some hesitation on the phone and he, he reluctantly agreed and turned up at the hospital. And um, apparently it turned out he had a phobia of needles. And they spent the whole time nursing him,
1: trying to calm him down. How is that even? I mean, how is that even the case, right? As in, doesn't that person then think, "Mm, I might be a tiny bit embarrassed here. You know, it's not. It's terrible for our profession. It really is. It's terrible.
0: (laughs) It's just, it's mind-blowingly bad. Uh, There's no other phrase for it. So, So I totally agree with that. I think the the provocation or the conversation I'm curious to have is one of, are you suggesting then that all hypnotherapists have to be perfect or or have to be flawless and have zero problems in order for them to be able to help someone else?
1: No, of course not. And also, what is perfect? Because whose view of perfect are we going with, right? So there isn't a perfect (laughs) apart from you Howard
0: thank you so much
1: a model of perfection
0: (laughs) i told you I'm Um, married
1: (laughs) so basically of course not like for example I gave you this example when we were chatting the other day about my shopping addiction right so I used to have a, a clothes and shoes shopping addiction and I know where it came from. It came from my mum because she had the same sort of addiction and every time I'd spend time with her, even when I was tiny, it would involve some kind of shopping excursion. It would involve going to Primark and spending as much money as you can in there and getting 50 bags and coming home hiding them from my dad. You know, so I kind of grew up with that thinking this was quite normal. Um, Then when my mum passed away the only link I had to her was shopping so it got worse right so I kind of know where it came from and then I thought to myself you know I've got this massive walk-in wardrobe with clothes coming out my ears I can't do this anymore I'm a hypnotherapist I help people with addictions all the time this is shameful dipty so what I did was own up to it not just you know to my partner or to my kids. I owned up to it on social media and I said, right, I'm going cold Turkey for a whole year. I'm not going to shop for a a single item for myself, clothes and shoes, put it out on Twitter and then BBC Radio Gloucestershire saw the tweet and they immediately got in touch and they said, wow, this is a really good um, thing for you to be doing, especially with the whole kind of, you know, um, fast fashion culture. Can we follow you for the year? And, uh, you know, make a kind of series out of it. And I was like, ah, that means I have to do it. So basically, (laughs) um, I said yes. And then they thought they came and did a video, you know, like an interview with me on the radio. And I went in every couple of months to tell them how I was getting on. And because I had that accountability, and also because I'd named and shamed myself, um, it became a really, really positive thing. And it shows that... We have ownership of our own, you know, misgivings or our own shadow. And as therapists, if we try to pretend we're perfect, that in itself has its own, you know, kind of challenges because we're not right so I think it's really important to be honest, and that word is so used often, authentic, but, you know, I can't think of another word right now, but to walk when you're walking your walk, it means that people can see that you're trying as well, you know, that you have got as as many challenges as them, but at least when you're working on it, it shows that you're willing to make those changes even though they're difficult for yourself so then if people see you making difficult changes they're much more likely to come to you because they know if you're doing it for yourself then you can help somebody else right
0: yeah so, so it's not necessarily about demonstrating perfection but it's demonstrating a passion for progress
1: yeah and a passion for making yourself the best version of yourself as possible and i don't mean that in a vanilla you know, kind of like, Instagram meme kind of way. But I think progress and evolution go hand in hand. So if I'm evolving as a person, I'm evolving mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, I'm I'm kind of trying to upgrade constantly, you know, and like my iphone you know after a few years it just needs a bit of a system upgrade and that's the same as people i think
0: so this is as you know is the rapid change matters podcast so i'm curious to hear a couple of stories if you're willing to share of people that have come in one way and they have never thought change could happen and their problems have got better pretty quickly
1: so yeah, I mean there's so many examples. I was trying to think of a good one. And I remembered this guy that I was seeing a few years ago. He was um well he ended up being a brand rep for a kind of high-end sort of fashion, athletic brand. Um but he had this real terrible fear of public speaking. So every time he would have to do a pitch, which was probably part of his job mm-hmm. regularly, you know, he talked about his legs turning to jelly, you know, face flushing, blushing and feeling flustered and all of that. So he came to me for that initially, for the fear of public speaking. Um, but while I was talking to him, he told me that his actual Job before this he actually trained to be an actor and he got to the point where he was really successful so he had quite a lot of um, good casting you know kind of repertoire up his belt sort of thing acting was his first love and his first dream so then what happened his father passed away and he didn't really deal with it so he kind of stuffed his grief in his back pocket and then he got a really amazing um, performance um, opportunity at the RSE, uh, so Royal Shakespeare Company. So mm, I can relate. He was on stage. He got onto stage. This is like the you know like the highlight of his career. Just as the spotlight hit his face, he literally was bunny in headlights. Mm-hmm. Froze, forgot everything. He was like opening opening the show as well. So there was no one else on stage apart from him. And he just stood there. And someone else had to come on because he felt like he turned into like stone. Someone else had to come on and basically, you know, wing it. He described it. I mean, God, I I felt like I was on the stage with him because he described it so well. Time stopped sucked into a hole of shame deep embarrassment all of this anyway so he left acting after that as you would imagine um and he could never ever go back on stage so then he managed to get this job in high-end fashion retail right so he was really working up his way into this um company and um because he was so good at spotting trends and selling he then kept getting promoted and then eventually got promoted to this current role as a rep worldwide rep for the brand so that's kind of where his fear of speaking you know came from um so we did one session and that was it and I obviously talked talk to him about his love of acting I wanted him to get connected back into that zone of excellence of you know before before the RSE of why he got into it what was his passion and so I really got a really juicy conversation going about his passion for acting he obviously had a natural ability to assume the roles he was given so you know putting him over there and putting this new role on. So that's kind of how he described it. He absorbed the new role into his personality and put his own personality over there. So he was talking about him taking a back seat and the new one taking the front seat. So all of this is brilliant metaphor, as you can hear. So I'm like, yippee, we're going to have fun with this. So obviously that knowledge is priceless for a free flow hypnotherapist. So when you can hear somebody's first love and hear somebody's own you know, mind telling you what they would do in a situation that is favorable versus non favorable, you know, then what comes easily and naturally to them, you can easily return them back to that state. And obviously, if you know what you're doing, you can set up a confusion in the current negative pattern and interrupt it interrupt the limiting pattern and kind of like install the new useful belief with actually hard evidence to support that belief to say you can assume this new role and all of this you know the last thing I said to him actually was that his performance as a brand rep will be another role that he can add to his already impressive casting repertoire and I wanted to I wanted to include the word rep and repertoire so I really flamboyantly expressed and emphasized the word repertoire so I wanted to kind of link it to acting Mm. so anyway he left he left and I I didn't really hear from him again and then the next thing I knew I got a bunch of flowers and on the card it just said repertoire
0: on it who was it from
1: well I don't know was it you I'm going to tell (laughs) your
0: wife. I love that. It's fantastic. And it's so rewarding when you hear those sorts of things. And it's funny because sometimes, I mean, I had someone yesterday who spoke to me on a 15-minute initial chat um, to see if I could help. And there was real scepticism. I mean, really. I mean, I've had this problem for a long time. Can people change? Surely it's not possible to change quickly. And all of that kind of stuff that we've heard. And I sometimes wish that people could live our lives for a moment because you know when i mean i've been doing this for 18 years seen over two and a half three thousand people when you see that in many people and you see over and over and over and over and over again that change can happen it doesn't half help really connect with the idea that change can happen but of course if someone's experience is that they've been fighting a long time mm. with something and it's really not going uh, in the right way it really feels like it can't be done. It feels ridiculous, yeah. these claims, that uh, of course it could, it, it can change. But I find, I don't know about you, Dipti, but I find when people say I've tried everything, yeah, what they often mean is I've tried like three or four simple principles in variation, variations of three or four simple principles, and I've been doing them over and over again, and none of those simple principles are working because they're flawed.
1: Yeah, They don't I say never- it quite like that, though. No, but when people say, you are my last hope, because that's Mm -hmm. essentially what they're saying, right? I'm a bit like, yay, I'll get my Yoda outfit, you know, I'll be back in a minute. And in a way, you are my last hope is a good thing for us. Because if they do genuinely feel they've tried everything, okay, they might not have done. But if they think that in their head, and we are their last hope, then actually, they're going to be giving it a bit more welly, I think. Yeah. And actually, we've got some real, um, something to hold on to there. Um, so I always play on that. And I extract it more saying, well, as this is the last thing you've tried, you know, it's got to work. And as you know, there's nothing else for you to do after this sort of thing. So it's almost like the, you you kind of bring their belief into it, but use it to your advantage and their advantage.
0: Uh, and that reminds me of working with, uh, he was a young lad, about 15, 16, uh, and halfway through the session, and you know some of the stuff that we kind of do, to a 15, 16-year-old might seem a little bit wacky, some of it. And at one point, he stopped me and said, sorry, can I just say, this seems like nonsense. And I love that. And I go, well, let's stop for a moment. I'm really pleased to hear you tell me that. You know what? I'm saying it's nonsense. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm really pleased about that. Because let me guess, you, you've had this problem, you remi- remind me, for what, five years now? Six years? It's like, yeah, five, six years. I said, my guess is that you've tried all sorts of stuff to get over it. He was like, yeah. And my guess is you've tried all the sorts of stuff to get over it that would make sense to you. Because why would you try stuff that didn't make sense to you? You'd, you'd only try the stuff that made sense to you. <laughs> and how is all the stuff? worked for you that made sense to you
1: so you've got to try something nonsense
0: yeah i said <laughs> so if you think about it it makes much more sense that something that make that, that's nonsense would work and he went that kind of makes sense i went no it needs <laughs> to remain nonsense
1: we know and that's it isn't it? it's just using their language to um Make them think they're right, right? Because they are right. They're always right. And none of us want to be wrong ever. So no one likes to be told they're wrong because we're all right from the map that we're standing in or the reality we're in or the position we're in. So,
0: I disagree. <laughs> I, just, I can't
1: help it. Uh, I was like talking to someone the other day about psychopaths or serial killers that was serial killers and I said you know what even if you were stuck in a lift with a serial killer and you heard their story and you heard their journey and you heard their map of the world you wouldn't probably necessarily endorse it but you'd see where they were coming from you know.
0: Well, and this is what makes often very popular, you know, viewing on things like Netflix and exactly, and we love a Amazon bit of Prime Villanelle
1: and Dexter. Don't I you? was
0: going to say, I remember watching Dexter and just and loving him and and having these very strange, conflicting feelings of <laughs> h- how can I really? I'm rooting for him. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting. I, I what does this say about me? And luckily, you know, it, it says nothing that I didn't know already. Which is exactly. I'm, so it's I'm because a you know
1: he's like well he's a vigilante killer it's fine you can kill when you're doing good (laughs) no
0: and he had a tough upbringing and it wasn't his fault that his neurology was like it was and you know it's just
1: and And he was uh, was quite nice as well wasn't he so yeah
0: absolutely yeah (laughs) you know he he seemed as long as you weren't sort of going around killing people and you know him wanting to seek revenge on you i think you're you're kind of i'd quite like to go out for dinner with him and have have, you know be friends
1: yeah and then killing eve i got really into that so i haven't
0: seen that i haven't seen that but i or have i oh i don't remember my wife makes me watch a lot of stuff
1: yeah well she's um she's a great serial killer she's a great psychopath she's my favorite
0: are you talking about my wife again?
1: No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <men>. <laughs> I haven't met your wife.
0: No, I know. I said my, my wife makes me watch stuff and you went, she's a great serial killer. And I thought, ah.
1: We're still on the villainous thing.
0: Oh, I see. There <laughs> we go. Listen, Dipti, is there anything that um, when you knew you were coming on the Rapid Change Matters podcast that you would be keen to share with people but that, that I just haven't asked directly?
1: Don't think so. I think you've asked loads of questions. I think they've all been relevant. I can't think of anything else. What else?
0: Hmm. Well, I, I tell you what else that we haven't done. If people want to get hold of you or get in touch with you, where can they go? How can they get in touch?
1: Funnily enough, if you just put, I think even if you just put Dipty into Google, <laughs> I come up. But if you put Dipty Tate into Google, I come up. That's how much I come up on the internet. Um, but my website's diptytate.com. You can find everything you need there, I think.
0: I, I, I've, I've looked at that website. I have to tell you, it is very, very cool. There's a lot of comprehensive stuff on that. And I love the layout. It's very user-friendly. Uh, and it, 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 I, I like it when someone's website embodies and gives you a, a real flavour of how character is in person and i think yours does that really really well so uh, i was going to tell you i I was yeah thoroughly impressed by it so well done
1: thank you um
0: for those who want to hear more about the recommendations uh things like the chimp paradox and uh it was tim halpern
1: halbom halbom a double lbom yeah tim and chris chris with a k tim and chris halbom they are amazing california based
0: fantastic well we're going to put all of the links and the recommendations and the references that have come up on today's episode underneath uh on the rapid change matters main podcast page and uh yeah look it's been absolutely fantastic chatting getting to know you and uh speak to someone who is and lives being the change that they want to see in the world so thank you for coming dipty and it's been uh, great to have you thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.